0: Hey there, patented listeners. Dallas Campbell here. Now, this week, I'm shaking things up a bit and I'm going to hand over the mic to Jacob Goldstein this episode. Now, you may know Jacob as the former host of the Planet Money podcast. Well, now he's got a new podcast called What's Your Problem?, And on What's Your Problem? Jacob talks with people who are facing some of the biggest challenges in business and in tech and the problems they have to solve along the way. And you'll get to know innovators who are trying to figure out how to do stuff that nobody on the planet knows how to do. It's absolutely fascinating. They're going to be asking questions like, how do you sell millions of dollars worth of sausage dog ramps? in the middle of a global pandemic. How do you turn single cells into tiny factories and end up with a $10 billion company? How do you take a drone delivery business you've built in Rwanda and make it work for you in North Carolina? Well, that last one touches on a lot of the themes that we talk about here on Patented, so we wanted to play it for you now. Jacob talks with Keenan Wyrabeck, who's the founder of a drone company called Zipline, who has a message for the world. And the message is... The drones are coming. Zipline's drones already make hundreds of deliveries a day in Ghana and Rwanda, but Americans' love of the open skies makes it very hard to build a drone business there. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did, and you can hear more of What's Your Problem wherever, you guessed it, you get your podcast.
1: I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? The show where we talk to entrepreneurs and engineers about the future they're gonna build once they solve a few problems. My guest today is Kenan Wierbeck. He's the co-founder of the drone delivery company, Zipline. And he has a message for the world, the drones are coming.
2: There's gonna be more planes and flying cars flying in the airspace in 20 years by a factor of 100 than there are aircraft flying in the air today.
1: Flying taxis, aerial pizza delivery, It could all be coming. In fact, Keenan's company, Zipline, is already doing hundreds of drone deliveries a day, every day in Rwanda and Ghana. But the company has come up against a really interesting, kind of surprising problem as it tries to expand to the US. It's not really a technological problem. It's more a problem about the way America thinks about airspace, about the way we regulate the sky itself. And this problem, it goes back to the early days of flight, but it also has a huge impact on the present, right now. Keenan's a robotics engineer by training, and by the time he co-founded Zipline back in 2014, he'd already worked on a few successful projects. So he was at this moment when he could really think hard about what his next big thing should be. And he told me he went around looking for a problem to solve kept coming up with ideas, but when he went and asked experts in the real world, is this a problem? They'd be like, actually, no, that is not really a problem for us. Finally, his wife pointed him in a new direction.
2: My wife's an epidemiologist, um, and she was telling me these stories about Uh, health campaigns, you know, vaccine campaigns that just get stuck on logistics. And so, of course, the wheels are turning. It's like, okay, maybe drones and and that actually that that seems like maybe there's a there's a real problem to solve here that people are going to really care about. Okay. Um, But at the same time, I will warn you, I'm a very skeptical person. So it's like, okay, I'm going to dig into this. We're going to go learn about this. And I'm just sure there's going to be a thousand reasons why, you know, this is never going to work. (laughs) We can't ever solve this problem. Uh, And and so we spent a bunch of time in in Central America, where my wife is from, uh, in Africa. We we visited this one uh, medical supply warehouse uh, in Tanzania. And outside the warehouse, as far as you could see, you know, football fields of pallets stacked, you know, two stories high in places we're just outside this warehouse. We're like, what's why do you have all these medical supplies? You know, vaccines, pharmaceuticals, other things. Why are they outside? And, you know, one of the people in the delegation sort of quietly because they were kind of embarrassed about it. They were like, yeah, that's all expired medicine. Oh wow. That was one of those like moments where it clicked of like, OK, supply is actually not the big problem. There's actually something much more practical uh, around around how to run, you know, how to get the supply from, you know, point A, these warehouses to these doctors. That that was one of the experiences yes. that kind of just, it like the bit flipped in my head from like, this is probably not a problem we can solve to like, holy shit, we have to solve this problem. And it just became really clear. You could leapfrog over all these factors by doing this with drones in an on-demand way. So
1: this is the rare instance where a robot can solve a big important problem in the world that the people dealing with the problem actually agree is a big important problem exactly
2: and i'd say that that people agreeing it's an important problem was another big part of my concern right like in silicon valley we like to use the word disruption as a good word right you walk into a health system a national health system of a country and say let's disrupt this like, nobody is excited. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah. here's the door. We're busy. You like, go disrupt somebody else. Like, yeah. we have a job to do. I was very worried that there just wasn't going to be an appetite for change in these health systems. Um, but really, the opposite happened. We, we got started getting to know these health systems and the ministers of health in these countries. And I still remember the first interaction with the Minister of Health in Rwanda. She said, okay, you've got two weeks. You know, We've got all the data, like you've been modeling how a drone system like this could work in a health system. Put together the case, what's the health impact? What's the economic impact? And then we'll go from there. And that was just like amazing. <laughs> the, the rest is of course history. The case was really compelling on the health side and the economic side, uh, and they became our, our first customer.
1: And specifically, what is the, the ask? What is the job?
2: The job from Rwanda is deliver blood on demand. The obvious answer in the early days was like, okay, cool. Which drone are we going to buy? So I went out to all the drone companies that could make a drone that could do what we wanted. And this was an incredibly frustrating journey because the best quote I got for a drone was $200,000 per drone <laughs> with a 200 flight warranty if I didn't fly it in the rain. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Uh, and it was like, and obviously the economics of that are just like, don't work at all. And the, you know, the customers want delivery all the time when it's waning or not. Yeah, and yeah. this was all really clear. And it just became, uh, this was one of those wake up call moments of like, oh, <laughs> you got to do this yourself. Um, and getting this first product service off the ground for this customer is going to be a much bigger lift than, than you thought.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So so you realize you're going to have to build your own drones from scratch. And one of the things that's interesting to me about this part of the story is, is it right? You wind up basically using iPhone parts. So the sensors, many of the sensors that make the drone fly...
2: you know, these are the same sensors that are in your phone uh, and that detect like whether or not, you know, what orientation your phone is, is turned for <laughs> like your video it, to play. It... So your phone knows the videos should be sideways. Our plane knows which way is up and how to fly without, you know, falling out of the sky.
1: And it's truly um, the same, basically the same sensors.
2: Oh, yeah. Made by the same companies. Like, yeah. What, <laughs> what others? If there
1: are others, can you just like rattle off? Like, oh, what, sure. What sensors that are in my iPhone more or less are in your drones?
2: Yeah. So GPS. Uh, the cell modems <laughs> that are in your okay. phone, we have in our drones. Even the basically the processors that are in your phone, we use very similar technology. Like the processors. Same chip, You've,
1: more or less. Similar exactly. Chips.
2: That, they're so power efficient and, and they're so capable.
1: It's amazing to me. I guess in part because you know I've gotten used to thinking about um, giant businesses like I don't know Uber or uh, Instagram. That like, okay, I get that those you couldn't have without the iPhone, right? That is intuitive to me. But the idea that like, you know, a company sending drones across sub-Saharan Africa to deliver blood, that that is also built on the iPhone is wild. Like you needed the cell phone, the smartphone revolution. You needed the iPhone to have come along and made all these components super cheap, super reliable, super smart. Exactly. So I want to try, I want to just talk through in some detail how like one what do you call it? Delivery, I guess, how one delivery works. So some doctor or nurse needs something in their hospital. What happens?
2: Yeah. So a doctor or nurse needs something, they they place their order, right? And by the way, we're really flexible there. They can use an app, they can use their phone, they can use WhatsApp, they can pick up the phone and call us, whatever's easy for them. So um, our team, they're going to get the unit of blood out of the freezer or fridge. They're going to get the the unit off the shelf. Um, They're going to pack it up, uh, put it into one of the drones. Uh, the drone
1: gets put into a launcher. Uh, okay, I'm going to a- pause you there because we yeah. we have a video, and I know we're like watching videos on a podcast is a questionable move, but let's try it because like I do want to see it. Right? It's a, it's yeah. It's okay. cool. So I- are you ready? I'm gonna push play. Head. You push play too. Okay. Ready? Go. All right. Okay. So so somebody is loading. It it looks like a plane, a plane about the size of a person, onto some kind of a launcher, right? Onto like a ramp. Exactly. Well, there's propellers. The The propellers are spinning. (laughs) I like your narration. (laughs) And then there's a guy, what's the guy there doing? Oh, it it just launched. He just launched it. Yeah. Wingspan's about 10 feet. So picture, yeah, it's like a, a big RC plane. Okay. A a big remote control plane. And by the way, I mean, it's not in fact remote controlled, right? Like what does it, is it actually just flying on its own? Yeah. So it, it is flying. It's flying automatically all the way out to the delivery site. Does that mean there are people whose job is to sit somewhere at the warehouse or at an office and like look at what, a camera from... To basically do air traffic control, to look at what all the drones are doing and make sure that... Exactly. So we call our drones Zips,
2: uh, and we call those people Zip Controllers. Their job is very similar to air traffic control.
1: And do they generally have to do anything, or do the drones take care of themselves? The drones take care of themselves. Okay. So here, let's keep watching. So now now the drone is going to make the drop.
2: First of all, you have to picture a package. So picture a a cake box, right, size package. Like it? um, With a paper parachute on it. That's in the belly of this drone, and so the okay. drone flies over uh, the delivery site. Okay, uh, and it. when it drops it, that paper parachute will inflate, and, and the package drifts to the ground. Uh, a little bit like a cartoon is how I is how I picture.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, it worked. It worked. It co- looks kind of fast. It's coming down kind of fast,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's it does come down fast. It's a this is a the fun of the engineering challenge here. If you come down really slowly, um, that accuracy uh, uh, that basically goes, ah, gets worse it's because uh, the wind
1: uh, can blow it to the side more. Basically, exactly, yeah. exactly. If and it so, hit you on the head, it looks like it would hurt. I have been a test
2: subject of this intentionally <laughs> to make sure you, wait, someone you have someone else to do it. stood under
1: it, so it hit you on the head? Is that what you're yep, telling me, Julie?
2: Yep. You know what's happening? I live to tell the tale, so. Okay.
1: Uh, More seriously, has anybody ever gotten hurt by one of your drones?
2: No, no one's gotten hurt by one of our drones. Uh, but there's a lot of engineering work that goes into really minimizing the chances that you can get hurt by a drone.
1: Okay. Tell me about the the end of the flight. It doesn't yeah. land in the way one would think of a little plane landing. It doesn't land. Yeah. So, so there's like two arms sticking into the air. There's two poles sticking
0: okay. into the air.
2: And those poles are on motors. Okay. So they move okay. up and down. But like basically, you know, they're on motors. Uh, between those two poles is a, is a string. Okay. Uh, really small string. Okay. And basically what's happening is our drone flies between these two poles. Uh, uh, and at the last second, literally that last fraction of a second. Yeah. Uh, if everything looks good, those poles, the motors on those poles will snap those poles up. So the line flings into the tail hook of the plane capturing the plane, uh, and that's how it lands.
1: That is amazing. In a minute, the truly surprising reason that it's harder to build a drone
0: business in the United States than in Rwanda. And we'll be back after this short break.
2: Throughout June on Not Just the Tudors, we're honoring Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee by focusing on queenship in the 16th and 17th centuries. I'm Professor Suzanne Lipscomb, and all this month with my guests, I'll be exploring the coronations of Tudor queens, queen's regnant and queen's consort, who wielded power in ways we haven't thought
0: about.
1: Really, when we begin to look at queen consorts, we notice that there's a lot of ways at the Renaissance court that women could hold informal power through their relationship
0: with the king. Then there's the queen who ruled over the Spanish Netherlands and the female Swedish king. You heard that right.
1: What did a 17th century person actually mean by saying, oh, she dresses like a man? If she would have worn male clothing, she wouldn't have been able to rule Sweden.
0: So for a month of all things magisterial and monarchical, look no further than not just the Tudors from history hit.
1: Now let's get back to what's your problem. ZipLine expanded from Rwanda to Ghana a few years ago and now delivers lots of medical supplies across both countries. It's like a normal routine thing there, hundreds of flights a day every day. But the company is just starting to expand into the United States. So far, Zipline's work in this country is limited to a few pilot projects. They're delivering medical supplies for a hospital system in North Carolina. Um, They're also flying stuff like bandages and over-the-counter medicine to Walmart customers in rural Arkansas. And in their work in the United States, Zipline is facing one particularly hard problem. A lot of the challenge comes
2: down to, uh, to the regulatory environment in the U.S. Our airspace is very old fashioned. We have a philosophy here in the U.S. in the airspace where we kind of grandfather everything in. Okay. So not 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 absolutely everything, but mostly everything. A lot of things you could do in the 40s, you can still do in the airspace today. And that makes things very complicated. Most other countries, basically the way they talk about it is say we have modernized our airspace. We've required things like transponders so all planes can tell by radio where all the
1: other planes are. We, we don't require that here in the US. So you're telling me example. there's some device that you can put in a plane that allows all other planes to know that plane is there. And in the US, you don't have to have that in your plane? That is correct. And as crazy as it sounds. And so in terms of like regulating airspace like Ghana and Rwanda are doing sort of sensible modern things that the U.S. is not doing. That's exactly right. And that makes their airspace essentially much simpler
2: to integrate drones uh, into uh, versus here in the U.S. Tell me what what other
1: problems you're trying to solve. What's a technical yeah. one that's interesting?
2: One we're working on that, that's extraordinarily hard, which is uh, this, this comes down to operating in airspaces like the United States, where you have planes flying around um, that don't have you know a radio transponder that tells you where they are. And so you have to have sensing on the drone that directly senses where these other aircraft are. Okay. In order to avoid, okay, uh, and this is something that's very hard to do for a bunch of reasons. Okay, uh, we tried radar, uh, and radar that can see in all directions. It just you literally need hundreds of pounds of radar equipment huh. to see far enough in all directions. Uh-huh. Um, which of course, you know, our drones <laughs> don't weigh hundreds of pounds to begin with. Uh, <laughs> and, and cameras the same problem. You need so many cameras with so many lenses and so many you know pixels, if you will, uh-huh. to see that you know that speck in the air. And of course, cameras they just don't work when it's cloudy, which is <laughs> you know a big deal. So basically, we've had to do a sensor technology development from the ground up for this, and it's it's something that's been really challenging and really and really exciting because if we can solve this problem, it'll enable scaled operations for drones uh, you know, around the world. So, how do you? solve it. Are you getting closer? We're getting a lot closer. Uh, and this is, I, I have to tease here because the actual thing I can't talk about quite yet. <laughs> but,
1: it's a secret because like intellectual property, because you're going to try and patent you know, it or? Literally, because of intellectual property, because uh, we're going to, because we're trying to patent it. So let me ask a question. If you haven't solved this problem yet, how are you able to fly in the U.S.?
2: Yeah. So in the U.S., and this is true of all drone operators in the U.S., even, even, uh, you know, everybody who flies drones in the U.S. is doing exactly this thing I'm going to describe, which is, <laughs> Not sophisticated. There are people along those routes looking at the sky.
1: Wow. So wherever your drones fly, you have people who are your employees that are getting paid by the hour to look at the sky and what text or something, if they push a button, if they see something. Exactly. They have, they have a special app that they can communicate with our controller if they see something, and, and there's a whole protocol around what okay. to do. And um, just to be clear, you yeah. don't have to do this in Rwanda or in Ghana, because all of the planes flying there have transponders, so the drones automatically know when there's another plane.
2: Yeah. And you know we feed our data there into basically their literal air traffic control. So they, they have a view of their whole airspace, including all the
1: aircraft with people. And all of our it's drones. It's so wild to me that we don't have that. Maybe I'm super naive. I guess, obviously, I am super naive uh, to be surprised by that. Like, is there any broader lesson from that? Like, is there anything I can conclude about the way the United States works, the way regulation works here? I don't know. I mean, it is some of it is a
2: philosophical thing, right? Like, here, we, we sort of... Um, we, we sort of romanticize and cherish like sort of the old ways of flying. Uh-huh. And, and so we do Cowboys, don't to... cowboys in the sky in their little Cessna or whatever. Exactly. There are pilots I've met who've told me to my face, I'm never going to put a transponder because that means people know where I am. And some of it is, is also just, uh, you know, I think this is one of the things I think a lot about with this country, right? We're, as we kind of mature, if you will, as a country, right? A lot of these countries like Rwanda and Ghana, these are literally young countries. Uh-huh. Um, their whole mindset is around growth and becoming, you know, and becoming the, the the economic power they want to be in the future and things like that. And they're very willing to sort of make decisions that are very future focused. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I think more and more, I see, you know, as a, as a society, right, we have to balance between clinging to the past and 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 focusing on the future. And how do you do both in the right way? So we so we actually, you know. Stay who we want to be and become who we need to be, yeah. and that's a that's a tricky thing to do. And I, I see when I sit in a room of the FAA leadership,
1: and they're literally debating this kind of thing, like in these kind of terms. The FAA has more old fashioned regulations that makes it harder for you to do what you do. You're working closely with the FAA, and like wh- where like where does that sort of land? Like, is there some I know there's no end point, but is there some big like step that's going to happen where they're going to say, "Okay, you can deliver to hospitals all over the country? And like what problems do you have to solve for that to happen?
2: Yeah, so the journey with the FA, yeah, it's incremental, right? Uh-huh. It's it's all about taking the right next step that leads you to the next step that leads you to the next step. Yeah, both for them to get comfortable, for them to learn, uh, for us to get to know each other. Literally, there's a lot of trust that has to be built between a company like Zipline doing something very new and a regulator like the FA, who you know, to their credit, right? The the advent of autonomy in the airspace is like the biggest change to the airspace literally since flight began yeah. right and i mean that in every sense of the word right there's going to be more planes and flying cars flying in the airspace in 20 years by a factor of 100 than there are aircraft flying in the air today wow. like it's that big of a change wow. um, and you know to their credit like they can't you know they can't be reckless here this is going to be hard to do yeah. and do it safely
1: in a minute the lightning round including keenan's tips for solving hard problems and the biggest misconception most people have about drones Okay. Let's get back to the show. We're going to close with the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Uh, What is one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who is trying to solve a hard problem? If it's a hard business or customer
2: problem, start with real human customers before you do anything else. If it's a technology problem, focus on the hardest part of the technology problem ignore all the rest, and then go on to the next hardest and then go on the next hardest. What's your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app on my phone, I'm not sure I have such a positive relationship with my phone. <laughs> actually, you know recently I, I I got nebula. I really like nebula i don't know I don't you know, know nebula. what is it It's uh basically a bunch of the more wonkier youtubers got together and made a an ad free youtube for for to cheat you know, sidestep the YouTube algorithm and they just make some great content.
1: Oh great um, that's, that's a good tip what's the biggest misconception people have about drones? Biggest misconception people have about drones.
2: I I have a good friend who's now worked at SpaceX and Zipline. And he likes to joke that rockets are easier than people think and drones are harder than people think. Good. A lot of people, they look at the little, you know, they look at a drone that you play with as a hobby and they're like, what's the big deal? Let's put a package on the bottom and deliver stuff. And um, I'll be honest, I was a little guilty of that too when I started <laughs> Zipline.
1: <laughs> two, uh, two or three more. Um, favorite trait in a coworker?
2: Oh, Easy. Someone who has a lot of fun when shit gets hard. Yeah. It's actually, this is actually the main thing I interview for. It's sort of funny because there's so much fun because startups are just like, it's one hard thing to the next, right? And, and people who really are going to enjoy that and are, you're going to have fun
1: with through that, you know. People who love a problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, What would you do if you couldn't do what you do?
2: Oh, goodness. I've looked. Yeah, this, this is, this is interesting. If I, carbon sequestration. How
1: will you know when it's time to retire?
2: Oh, that I have, I have no idea. You know, I think the, you know, Zipline today is the biggest company I've ever worked at by a lot. How big is it? Uh, going on 700 folks. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. You know, if you had asked me eight years ago, if I'd still be here when we were 700 people, I would have been like, nope, <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. So it's uh, painful growth for sure. I work hard at it. And I, I have a lot of awesome people around me who don't hesitate to give me feedback, which is, you know, the only way to grow. Right. So uh, but at the same time, like, it's hard to imagine that I can keep up the Zipline forever.
1: Keenan Wyrobeck is the co-founder of Zipline. Today's show was produced by Edith Rousselot, engineered by Amanda K. Wong, and edited by Robert Smith and Kate Parkinson-Morgan. The music by Luis Guerra. Special thanks to Mia Lobel. On the next few episodes of What's Your Problem? I'll be talking to people about artificial intelligence. What problems do we have to solve to get to self-driving cars and to chatbots that we can actually chat with? Chatbots good enough to teach us a new language. I'm Jacob Goldstein. If there's somebody you think I should interview for the show, please let me know. I'm on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein. I'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem?
0: Okay, that's it. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed that special episode. You can hear more stories from people building a brighter future on the What's Your Problem? podcast brought to you from Pushkin Industries. Thank you very, very much to them. And don't forget, you can listen to all the episodes of that series and my series, Patented, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. I look forward to your company soon. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.